0: Turning your Bibles with me to 2 Samuel chapter 10. Some of you who've been here a little while remember I've been doing a series on the book of Samuel. We've gone through all of 1 Samuel, verse by verse, and a part of 2 Samuel. So I'm returning to that series. I stopped for a while just to give you a breather. Some people say, will he ever get through this book? You know, so I try to jump out and jump back in so that you won't say that about me. But here we are back in 2 Samuel chapter 10. We just sung about the greatness of God. I want us to think about the greatness of his kindness. Let me ask you a question as we start to look at 2 Samuel 10. Have you ever done something for somebody that was a kind act or deed or statement and they just missed it? They just thoroughly missed it? Or maybe better yet, has someone ever done something for you, something? act of kindness and you just missed it it could be something as simple as somebody says or they send you a text hey i'd like to bring you a meal tonight and you text back that would be awesome so so thankful for you thinking of me and then you get home and you're busy and you do your routine and they set the meal out on the porch you know and you just forget that that happened and you go through your routine and it goes a whole week and Finally, you know, you look out the window one day on the porch and you see bees and flies and bugs, ants are crawling. What's going on out here? And you open the door and you see that meal. It's like, ah, I missed it. Just totally missed it. Forgot all about it. You know, something that was meant to be good and you just, you missed it. Well, we can even go further in that and just the kindnesses of God sometimes that are given to us you've you, you've perhaps been given parents that says I want to I want to teach you discipline and train you and that's a kindness and if you won't do drugs if you won't have premarital sex if um uh, you'll be faithful going to church with me when you turn 1821 I'll help you out with your first car or your first home and that's a great kindness and yet you just no nah, that's okay I I can do that by myself. I'll do my own thing. There's times like that where God's raised up people to be kind to us and we just miss it. Uh, one of the things I like to do when I play golf is I like to pray with whoever I'm uh, playing with. And last week um, uh, they paired us up with a couple of people I didn't know. I said, hey, I'd lo- love to pray. It's, how about a Good Friday blessing or something like that? And the guy that uh, I was paired up with, some guy over in um, uh, easily sixty-nine years old. He said, "No, I'm good. I'm good. I don't. I don't need that." And I thought, "Really? I'm just trying to be nice here. I just want to give you a blessing from God." Uh, no, I, I don't need that. Don't want it. Just, just go about your 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 game. I said, "Okay, no problem." Uh, you know, do you ever? Have God bringing you kindness, and you miss it. And you even think about the gospel, the good news, that God says, I'll give you my son. He'll die in your place. He'll be your substitute, that your sins can be forgiven, and you can go to heaven. And so many people say, nah, that's okay. And they resist, and they don't want it, and they push it aside. Why do I share all that? Because that seems to be the theme of 2 Samuel 10, it's kindness missed, God giving kindness, and people just resisting it and missing it. Uh, let me begin to unpack this for you and show it to you. Look at 2 Samuel 10, verse 1 and 2. It says, now it happened afterwards that the king of the Ammonites died, and Haman his son, became king in his place. Then David said, I'll show kindness to Hanan the son of Nahash, just as his father showed kindness to me. So David sent some of his servants to console him concerning his father. But when David's servants came to the land of the Ammonites, the princes of the Ammonites said to Hanan their lord, Do you think that David is honoring your father because he has sent consolers to you? Has David not sent his servants to you in order to search the city? To spy it out and overthrow it. Stop there and and, and hear the words. Uh, This is good uh, military. It's good uh, international relations. Whatever you want to call it. But the Ammonites are neighboring territory. Um, The king of the Ammonites died. And so the king of Israel, which is David, says, you know, it'd be a nice thing to just call. Of course, calling back then was not as easy as it is today. I'd like to just call the king of the Ammonites, who now is Hanan, the son of Nahash. Nahash died. I'd just like to call him and tell him my thoughts and my prayers are with you. Every president in America has done that. Now we've got a culture that says, no thanks, don't want thoughts and prayers. But that's what David was saying. I, I just want to console. I just, I, I just want him to let him know that as a neighboring nation, we think about you too. We care about you. And so he sent a few of his men, says, go to the Ammonites and tell them. We're thinking about them, praying with them. Maybe they took a gift. The gift, this is not so much on the gift here. It's just whatever they, they took, it was to console. If it was just words, if it was thoughts, if it was prayers, if it was some tangible gift, whatever it was, they said, we're here to offer our kindness in a time of grief and loss to you. So that's what happens to them. And they've got some of the princes, you know, the counselors to the king says, you don't think he's really coming over here to console, do you? It's a sneaky trick. It's not, you know, compassion at all. It's it's They're spying. They're spying out the land. They're trying to figure out how they're going to come back and destroy us. So instead of seeing the kindness, they miss it. They push it away. And then they disgrace the consolers. Verse 4 and 5 says, So Hanan took David's servants, shaved off half of their beards, and cut off their garments in the middle as far as their hips, and sent them away. And when they told it to David, he sent to meet them, for the men were greatly humiliated. And the king said, Stay at Jericho until your beards grow, and then return. Uh, So instead of receiving the kindness, they said, He's trying to trick us. So they cut off the guy's clothes at waist high, you know, so they're naked below their waist they do cut off half their beard. It doesn't say what they really do with their beard or what half they cut off. The whole point here is humiliation. We're going to do something to their face that makes them look ashamed. We're going to do something to their clothes that makes them look ashamed. And we're going to parade them out of town and we're going to send them back. We don't want them here. We don't want their kind. And they, they seek to push it Aside, Well, that escalates to war. If you don't receive kindness, sometimes it makes people mad and goes to war. Verse 6, now when the sons of Ammon saw that they had become odious to David, the sons of Ammon sent out and hired Arameans um, and all of that for war. Well, then it goes real fast through the chapter. Just look at the word when. Verse 5, when they told it to David that these men have been shamed The Ammonites realize, okay, we shamed them, they get it, verse 6, we better get ready for war. So when the sons of Ammon saw, they become odious, they get ready for war. Verse 9, when Joab, that's the commander of the army for the Israel, when Joab saw the battle was set against him, when he saw they were going to fight, he gets ready for war. Um, Verse 14, when the sons of Ammon saw that they were getting defeated, the Arameans were getting defeated, they retreat. Verse 15, when the Arameans saw they were defeated, they retreat. Uh, And then verse 19, when all the kings saw they were defeated, they stopped their pursuit and said, we're not going to do this again. So it just just starts going really fast with that word, when, taking you through, when this happened, when this happened, when this happened, when this happened. And it's like dominoes, and it's all because kindness was missed. A king died. David said, I want to be kind. They miss it, and then the dominoes start falling. You get all of these consequences to that one lack of seeing and appreciating the kindness that was being extended to them through David. And you get this contrast all the way through between the believer and the unbeliever, between the church and the world, that God says, I'm going to be kind through my church, and I'm going to take care of my church the world doesn't want to receive it they will if they want to resist it there'll be defeat there'll be consequences there'll be hurt there'll be shame and you see that contrast back and forth all the way through the chapter um it just made me think about so many times i've missed the kindness of god or failed to give the kindness of god or failed to um uh appreciate the kindness of god so i want you to think this morning with me what are the times the kindness of god's been given and have you received it, or have you resisted it? Do you still try to push it aside sometimes? Because there's a sense sometimes where people think, if, if I take the kindness of God, it's going to change me, and I don't want to be changed, and, and, and we resist it. Well, let's look, look through. First of all, God just giving this kindness, um, this grace given. I've explained this, uh, first. or read the first five verses uh, all the way through. Just see the good foreign relations. David saying, I want to be kind. Um, I, I want to be nice to the Ammonites, yet the Ammonites don't want to be nice back. They don't want to receive it. The princes are saying, you don't want to collude with the enemy. Doesn't need to be any collusion going on here. Understand he's not being nice, he's being sneaky, he's a spy. Let's, let's, don't, let's don't go and receive this and become buddy-buddy with the Israelites. Do you remember back that the Ammonites, they're not the nicest people in the world? They're not known, they don't have a reputation for being nice. As a matter of fact, I, I'm still a little puzzled how David even says in verse 1, or, or no, verse 2, says, David says, I will show kindness to Hanan the son of Nahash, just as his father showed kindness to me. So Nahash obviously did something nice to David. And they've created maybe some sort of covenant relationship there that, just like David says, I'll promise to be nice to you, Jonathan, I'll love you and your children. That somehow he may have created that relationship with Nahash. We don't, we don't have all the details of that. But what I do know about Nahash is that he wasn't very nice during Saul's time at all. And Saul was the king just before David, look back at 1 Samuel chapter 11. Let me remind you of the Ammonites. And this is under Nahash. 1 Samuel chapter 11 says, Now Nahash the Ammonite, so he's the king, the Ammonite Ammonite came up and besieged Jabesh-Gilead. And all the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, Make a covenant with us and we will serve you. Nahas the Ammonite said to them, Okay, I'll make it with you on this condition that I will gouge out the right eye of every one of you. Thus I will make it a reproach on all Israel. Now, does that sound very nice? You come to the king, Nahas says, We realize you're bigger and you're greater than us. We'll just submit we'll bow down, we'll just just surrender, we'll be your servants. And he says, yeah, right, I'll let you be my servants. I'll let you do that right after I take out one of your eyes. Doesn't sound like a very nice guy, not the kind of guy I want to hang out with. Uh, And that's the group that David's wanting to be kind to. He's worked out something with Nahash, but he's, he's not... They're just not known to be nice. Let me give you another passage. Look at Amos chapter 1. This is one of their military strategies. Amos chapter 1. I mean, if you didn't think they were bad before, this this seals the coffin for me. Amos 1, verse 13. Thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of the sons of Ammon, That's the Ammonites. And for four, I will revoke its punishment. And then it tells us what they did because they ripped open the pregnant women of Gilead in order to enlarge their borders. Ammonites are not nice folks. Their military strategy was when they went into Gilead let's look for all the pregnant women. And let's make sure we don't only kill the woman, but we kill the child in the womb. Let's rip them open, because that way we killed two generations with one below. That was their evil heart. That was their way of doing business. So talk about love your enemies. And back in 2 Samuel 10, David wants to be nice to these folks. It was a kindness that he said he had worked out with Nahash... Nahash was kind to him so David wanted to be kind he wanted to be known for being kind Um, but they didn't want to receive it they were not typically the kind of people that wanted to receive the kindness of God even though God offered it to them so what do they do verse 6 of 2 Samuel 10 they hired the sons of Ammon and when they hire the sons of Ammon they get 20,000 foot soldiers Uh, They get another 1,000 men from Makkah, and they get another 12,000 from Toph. That's 33,000 soldiers they are hiring to do battle with the Israelites. Um, They want to fight. They're ready for war, and they want to win. They probably have a pretty good idea from past history how many people David's going to bring into battle. So if David's going to bring in 100,000... And they've only got 70, you know, they're going to go hire another 33,000. And they're going to do battle. And that's their strategy here. And so they hire them, they get them in, and the Arameans, verse 15, when the Arameans saw that they had been defeated by Israel, they gathered themselves together. And Hadadezer sent and brought, brought out the Arameans who were beyond the river, and they came to Helm and Shobach and the commander of the army of Hadadezer led them and now when it was told David he gathered all Israel together and he crossed the Jordan and he came to the Halem and the Arameans arrayed themselves to meet David and he fought against them but the Arameans fled before Israel and David killed 700 charioteers of the Arameans and 40,000 horsemen Where did those come from? I thought we only had thirty-three thousand. Now we got forty thousand. And he struck down Shobach and the commander of their army and he died there. And when all the kings and servants and Habidizer saw that they were defeated by Israel, they made peace with Israel and served them. So the Arameans feared to help the sons of Ammon. Um, well that's the way it went. They resisted the kindness, the kindness led them. Resisting led to war. Let me give you some parallel passages just to think through a little bit. Look at Psalm 2. And it's exactly what we're seeing here. Psalm chapter 2, first three verses says, Why are the nations in an uproar? Why do the nations get all upset? And the people devise a vain thing. And the kings of the earth take their stand. And the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His people. His anointed saying... Let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. Why do people get so mad at the church? Why do they get so mad at Christ and his people? Why do they rage when all we want to do is be kind and loving and gracious and giving? Why do they rage against us? God says it doesn't make sense that they they would want to act that way and yet... That's what they do. And you, you've heard uh, people do this to you, where you share Christ with somebody and say, well, yeah, I understand Christ is good, but I just don't want to receive him. I don't want to give up my freedom. I just don't want him yet. I want, you know, it's some mechanism of resisting, pushing Christ away. And they don't seem to understand when you come to Christ, you never give up freedom. What do you ha- have, What freedoms do you have now? You have the freedom to sin. Well, you can still sin as a Christian. We all know that. So You don't give up anything. All you get is you gain something. You gain the freedom to please God, to obey Him, to be loyal to Him, to follow Him. You can't do that until you come to Him. So you don't give up anything. But they don't seem to understand that. That They don't seem to understand the kindness of God leads us to, to more, not less. Well, Psalm 2 uh, goes on with the solution being down in verse uh, 10, 11, and 12. Now, therefore, O kings... Show some discernment. You know, like if you're the one that you're mad at God, think that through a minute. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Here's the solution. Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Do homage to the Son that he may not become angry and you perish in the way for his wrath may soon be kindled. And how blessed are they who take refuge in him. And you saw that back with the Ammonites, the Arameans, In 2 Samuel 10, they finally realized, you know, it would be better if we just quit fighting. Let's just revere the God of the Israelites. Let's make peace. Let's be the servants. It would be a whole lot better than just dying. Uh, So they were missing the kindness. They were missing the solution. Um, It made me wonder, you know, when you you read 2 Samuel 10, 19, uh, the last phrase, So the Arameans feared... Um, to help the sons of Ammon anymore. It's like, if you had the chance to do this over again, would you do it differently? Would, would you have gone into battle just to resist and hold back the church, Christ, his people's kindness to you? Would you really do it the same way again? Um, you know, is it any different in America? We Do you ever wish America could just rewind about 150 years? And if we could rewind 150 years, would we do it the same way again? You know, when we were founded as a nation, when Christians were leaving, coming here to establish a Christian nation or establish Christian principles, and when schools started getting started, they said, let's let's." let's make the foundation of our schools the word of god and the god who has given us liberty and freedom and we're founding this country with that and then we go forward and little by little we vote god out of the schools and out of society and take the bible out and take prayer out and take a moral standard out and we're living in the generation who's demolishing and destroying any monument to that moral standard the ten commandments or any monument to those who are trying to be kind and good to the schools and to society by by putting christ in his word and his truth in how has that worked out for us to constantly resist God and His Word and His truth and His kindness. I saw in the news just uh, two weeks ago, I guess maybe it was a week, just a week ago, um, the 12-year-old boy who was murdered in school because he said he was transgender. And I'm thinking, there is so much wrong with this. The whole misunderstanding of sexual morality and then wanting to fight and kill and destroy. Would we do it over again? Have you really gotten yourself free by missing the goodness and the kindness of God to, to establish you in His truth and His ways? So I wondered if the Ammonites, the Arameans, would they have done it any different? They could have had God in His ways, and they they choose to resist that. And uh, so many times. It seems we're right there. Let me give you a few other parallel passages. Look at Acts chapter 4. Here's Peter and John after they were um, imprisoned and released. and um, They make this statement. Acts chapter 4. They quote Psalm 2, which I just read for you. Acts 4 verse 23. When they had been, Peter and John, when they had been released they went to their own companions and they reported all that the chief priest and all the elders had said to them and when they heard this they lifted up their voices to god with one accord and said "O lord it is you who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that's in them who by the holy spirit through the mouth of our father david your servant said why did the gentiles rage and the peoples devised feudal things. The kings of the earth took their stand. The rulers were gathered together against the Lord uh, and against his Christ. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place in the name of your holy servant. And when they had prayed, they placed the place where they had gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. Notice Peter and John says, our little arrest, that was the nations in a rage. We're just here to offer the kindnesses of God. Why do they get so bent out of shape over that? Why Herod? Why Pontius Pilate? Why the Gentiles? Why the Jews? Why do all these people seem to be against you, Lord, and your church? Well, we're just going to keep on being faithful, God, and and we're just going to keep on praying, and we're just going to keep on worshiping you. And God shakes the place and says, well done, and fills them with more power and presence of His Spirit to continue being His witnesses. But That's that's the contrast you're seeing in 2 Samuel 10 as well, that that God is, is moving His church forward, and the nations are against it. And they rage. And it can be seem like on a small scale or a big scale. Uh, hopefully, what the world begins to see more and more, uh, jump over to Romans chapter um, 2, verse 4. Just the kindnesses of God, where it should lead us. Do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing the kindness of God leads you? To repentance that's the solution it was in psalm 2 it was in i think 2nd samuel 10 verse 19 kind of hinted it should lead us to repent to turn and to embrace and not miss the kindnesses of god the world has issues with us but there's no peace without jesus he's the prince of peace you can keep fighting christ in his church But the place of peace is in his church. It's with the Prince of Peace. He is the one who's established it. Well, they miss it. Let's go back to 2 Samuel 10 and see the world misses that kindness. Let's not let the church miss it. We need to be those who are giving it. Um, Notice again David giving it, verse 2. Then David said, I will show kindness to Hanan." It's interesting, just one chapter before that, the exact same Hebrew word for kindness is used. And if you remember my sermon on Mephibosheth in 2 Samuel 9, just look back there. 2 Samuel 9, verse 1, David said, Is there anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness? Same word, for Jonathan's sake. And I, try, I made a point about that word, kindness. It, it's, it's, it's implications are covenant loyalty, covenant faithfulness. That David had this covenant with uh, Jonathan to be kind to him and his family. And so even though Jonathan's dead, he says, I'm still going to be faithful. I'm going to be kind. And he does a search, and he finds there is a, a child. His name is Mephibosheth, and he will be kind to him. David now, that's in the church. That's in the Israel community. He goes outside the Israel community when he goes to the Ammonites and the Hanan. He said, I'm gonna be kind, uses the same word. So that's why I was saying that did he have some sort of covenant with Nahash? Whether he did or not, he's 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 demonstrating I will be kind not only to the church, but also to the world, not only to my friend, but also to my enemy. And that's a graciousness that's given that we need to learn how to do as well. We need to be kind to our own, yes. We need to also be kind to those who are outside and beyond us. Let's look at a parallel. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 3. Uh, after dealing in 1 Peter 3 with how we should be kind and, and loving to our husband and to our wife, to our home, he expands that and goes beyond that. Uh, And it's the same way um, in the home. A lot of times kindnesses are missed missed, that God uses the believing spouse to be kind to the unbelieving spouse. If you have a mixed marriage in the sense that you have a believer and an unbeliever married together, that's the mixture. There's, There's a sense in which the believer should be so kind to the unbeliever that the unbeliever says no way I'd ever want to divorce or get out of this. I got it good. The kindnesses of God are coming through my believing spouse to me, and that's God's plan is to show kindness to that household and let the kindness lead you to repentance. So that's being talked about in 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7. Then we get down to verse 8, Uh, and he says, to sum up, All of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you're called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. For the one who desires life to love and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. And he must turn away from evil and do good. And he must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are towards the righteous. And his ears attend to the prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? So that's the parallel. That's what David was doing. So I've been good to the household. I want to be good to those outside the household. I want to be good to Hanan. I want to be good to the to the Ammonites, and he issues that kindness to them. Um, For us, application, think, look for ways to be a blessing. How can you give a blessing to someone today, to someone this week, to someone in the family of God and to someone outside the family of God? How can you demonstrate the kindness of God? Look at Matthew chapter 5. Verse 43 and 48, Jesus' sermon there. Matthew 5, 43, he reminds us this principle about our God. says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his sun to rise on the evil and the good, sends rain on the righteous, and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. He's encouraging us to have this perfect love, this love that goes without asking for anything in return. Give it to the church, give it outside the church. And why? It says just to be like God, that's enough reason. This is God. Just to be like David, that's enough reason. Let's do it. Let's be good at being a blessing to others. Realizing there's some who say, I don't want it. They resist it. You're trying to manipulate me. You're trying to change me, right? No, I'm just trying to be kind. I'm just trying to show you the goodness of God, he's been so good to me. Let me share some of that with you. That is an encouragement to us. So what can we do to, to show that kindness to others? Well, David gave it consistently. Uh, the Ammonites did not receive it. Let's get back second, Samuel. Let me finish it up here. There's a battle that went on, verses 6 through 14. And it's, it's kind of interesting to look at it. First of all, I've already read verse 6. You've got 33,000 men that are hired there. You see down in verse 18, they've got 40,000 horsemen. So I think they gather others, they go into war, people seeing who's winning, who's in need, and that kind of thing. But they've got at least 30,000, 40,000 they've hired. I don't know how many they had. Let's say they had 60. Now they've got 100 total. Let's say David and his men are 100 total. I'm just guessing. I don't know. I just want you to see if there's 200,000 people in this battle, this is not a little skirmish. This is a major war. So with that kind of warfare, it would would make me think there's going to be something about that. And it's interesting to me, there's very little about it. How can you have such a, a big war and not talk about much of it? And it's because... When you see something like that happening, it, it, it's, a, it's a spotlight. God says, I'm giving you a spotlight on what I want you to see, not what I don't want you to see. Yes, this is a big war. It's a big deal. But I want you to see something different than how big and uh, you know bloody the war is. I want you to see something different. What does he begin to show us? Look at verse 7 and 8. When David heard it, he heard that not only are they resisting the kindness, they're getting ready to fight. So when David heard it, he sent Joab, the captain of his army, and all the army, the mighty men. And the sons of Ammon came out and drew up battle array at the entrance of the city, while the Aramaeans and the Zobah and Rehob and the men of Tob and Machah were by themselves in the field. So you just imagine, here's a city on this side. And so you got this city, I don't know where David's coming from. David's men are coming against the city. So you got David, they come against the city where the Ammonites are, and then out here in the field and in the woods somewhere, you've got the Arameans, they were hiding. So they let David come up against, and his men up against the city, and as soon as they're up, then these guys pop up. And as they pop up, David, who's, you know, they're looking this way fighting, one of them looks over their shoulder maybe to get another error, you know, out of the bow, and Whoa! And they look back this way and they see... This huge army coming. It's the old sandwich maneuver. You know, now we got David and his men sandwiched in from both sides. That's the scenario he begins to describe. So, verse 9. Now when Joab saw that the battle was set against him in the front and in the rear, he selected from all the choice men of Israel and arrayed them against the Arameans. But the remainder of the people he placed in the hand of Abishai his brother, and he arrayed them against the sons of Ammon. So he takes Abishai and some great men, says, y'all fight the city, I'll take the other men, and we'll go into the bush, and we'll fight these guys. And then verse 11 and 12, and he said, If the Arameans are too strong for me, then you shall help me. But if the sons of Ammon are too strong for you, then I'll come to help you. Be strong. Let us show ourselves courageous for the sake of our people and for the cities of our God. And may the Lord do what is good in his sight. So Joab and the people were with him and drew near to the battle against the Arameans. And they fled before him. And then the sons of Ammon saw that the Arameans were fleeting. So they also fled before Abishai. And they entered the city. And Joab returned from fighting against the sons of Ammon and came to Jerusalem. The end of the story. It's like, whoa. That fast, like I said, there's you would think there's got to be more to this story. How how does the battle start so big, sandwich maneuver? Somebody's about to get crushed, and then just end the story. Like, am I missing something here? And I think what God throws spotlight on in is I want you to see verse eleven and twelve. That's the focus. The sandwich maneuver led Joab, the, the commander of David's army, to, to come up with a strategy. And the strategy is, is, is very simple. The strategy is, uh, Abishai, let's, you and me, we're going to be leaders. Abishai, you, you get this group of men and you go this way and you fight. I'll take the rest, we'll go this way and fight. If these, this group is too strong for me, I'll come and help you. If that group's too strong for you, or excuse me, if they're too strong for you, I'll come help you. If you got that and you see I need help, you turn and help me. So I'll help you, you help me, and then together we're both just going to trust God to do what's good and right. Pretty good, right? I mean, is that not the principle of life for the church? You help me if I need it. Because there's times when I need it. And there's other times when I'm fighting a good fight and I'm winning and you need it. I'll turn and I'll help you when you need it. So I'll help you, you help me, and let's trust that God's going to see that. God's going to work it all out. He's going to help us. He's going to do what's good and right. Let's just trust Him to work it all out. We'll do the best we can at loving one another and at loving and trusting Him. And let's see what happens. Let's see how that works. And it works. And it works. And it works over and over and over throughout the Scriptures. Even the summary of the law, to love one another and to love God and see how that works. And that's exactly the focus and the emphasis. Let's be good to one another and let's see how that works. Trusting God to be good to us. It it reminded me of... uh, you know, that James 4 passage says you don't know whether you will do this or that tomorrow, you, whether you'll be able to go to the city, whether you'll be able to work. You don't really know tomorrow. All you've got is today. You've got to trust God for tomorrow. Let's see what God does with it. Let's just say if it's God's will. Let's do all we can to fight the battle we have in front of us. And let's be good to one another, help one another, and trust God's will to take care of the rest. And It works. When you, you come for prayer, let, let me look at a passage on prayer. Look at Romans chapter 8. Let me apply it this way. Look at Romans 8, beginning at verse 26. Romans 8 verse 26 says, In the same way the Spirit also helps our weaknesses, for we don't know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to God. And we know that God causes all things together, all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Now stop and think about that for a minute. Put all of that together, it's in the same context. You don't know how to pray as you ought to. I don't know how to pray as I ought to. So, He's given us the Spirit that takes our hearts, our groanings, and translates it to God as God would speak to God. But we're supposed to pray. So, you come to me for healing. David, would you pray that I be healed? Sure, be glad to. Let's pray for your healing. Are you going to be healed? I don't know. I don't know if it's going to happen. Today or tomorrow, ultimately, yes, in heaven, God will give you a glorified body and you'll be perfect. So, ultimately, yes, you will be healed. But let's pray for it. I don't know how to pray sometimes. I don't know sometimes what the will of God is, but I'm going to give him my passions in my heart and I'm going to trust the Spirit to translate that. I don't know, and it's like David and Abishai. I don't know whether or not I can defeat these Arameans. I think I can. If I can and I look around and you need help, I'm going to come help you. I really don't know how this is going to play out. And Abishai, I don't know if you can defeat them or not, but you, you just try. And if you can and you see I need help, you turn around and help me. But together, we're going to trust that God works all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. See, we're going to pray. We don't know the outcome yet, but we're going to pray. And we're going to trust God to work it out. It's the same principle that we have here. Same principle Job was sharing with Abishai. And, of course, Romans 8 goes on saying, and what could possibly separate us from the love of God? Could this war separate us from the love of God? Could peril, could sword, could any of this happen? No. We will still be in the goodness of God when this is all said and done. God will be good to his people. And I want us to see and enjoy the comfort that God is going to give us. I see it in the Apostle Paul's life as he comes to the end. 2 Timothy, his fi- some of his final words. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Let me just give you that real quick. 2 Timothy 4, verse 6 and 8 through 8. He says, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure has come. That's another way of saying, I'm about to die. I'm almost over. I'm on my last breath. Verse 7, I fought the good fight. I finished the course. I've kept the faith. In the future, here's the key verse. In the future, there's laid up for me... The crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. God's going to be good to me. He said, The time of my departure has come. I'm about to die. I don't know if it's going to happen today, it might happen tomorrow, but I know it's getting close. I'm just, I've been fighting this fight. I don't know whether I'm going to win it or lose it here. But I do know one thing. God's going to be good. God's going to be good. And he's going to reward me for faithfulness to his plan, his way. I know there's going to be rewards. I know there's going to be a crown of righteousness. I know all things work together for good. So let's. Let's do what we need to do. Let's love one another. Let's help one another. And let's trust God to be kind and good. Let's not miss the kindness. Let's not miss giving the kindness. Let's not miss receiving the kindness. Let's not miss the comfort and enjoyment the kindness of God brings in the midst of the battles and trials we all face. That just seems to be screaming out of 2 Samuel 10. Kindness missed is is foolish. It leads to war. Kindness received brings goodness, peace, and grace. Kindness of God to his church is with us until death and beyond. The believer never misses it. The unbeliever who resists it is crazy. So sad. I think so many people in my life where we have given kindness and they resist and they turn away and they rage and their life is lacking peace and goodness. I don't want that for any of you. See the kindness of God that comes to you through His church. Embrace it. Take it. Let it lead you to repentance. Let it lead you to trust Christ, to follow Him, to live in Him. It just gives you goodness now and forevermore. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for such a real practical example of the kindness being given even to a nation by your people and how they just sought ways to say it couldn't be real, it couldn't be true, it had to be sneaky, It had to be something else. But your kindness is real. It is true. And it's the goodness this world needs. Father, help us to be faithful to keep receiving and keep giving the kindness of God. May it lead many to turn from sin and to want more. To want more of your love and your grace. We thank you that we can never exhaust your kindness. That you continue to pour it out upon us, your people, forever and forever. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your grace to us. We ask that you would use us to draw many to yourself. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen. The good news from 1 Corinthians.